Welcome to Slash Into Me. Slash Into Me, the only podcast that fuses horror movies and Dave Matthews Band. I'm Chris Rady. And I'm Pat Hoskin. Today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about two movies. 1988's Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers by Dwight H. Little, and 1989's Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers by Dominique Othin and Gerard. And as always, we'll dip into some DMB when the time is right. Let's indulge. We talked about Halloween 3 last episode, subtitled Season of the Witch, and the most prominent thing about Halloween 3 Season of the Witch is that Michael Myers is very famously not in it. Now, in this episode, we're going to be, we're, it's, it's like a sort of a double header. We're going to be talking about Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers, and Halloween 5, the revenge of Michael Myers. So I think, like, in, in calling Halloween 4 the return of Michael Myers, like, that's the full title, that's a pretty specific and explicit way of saying michael myers is back and so we're gonna do things a little differently now where we're gonna do the dave portion up front and me and you were talking about like what will be the best song for this and i think i think last episode i kind of overthought it and i was like you know in in this song there's this really uh really moving passage about looking at television and so much and i kind of analyzed the film uh it's like subtext of television I kind of analyzed that through Dave lyrics, but I feel like this time we just got to get back to the slash into me roots of doing a song that is more appropriate to pretty pretty uh, broad strokes of these films. So Halloween <laughs> one we had the song Halloween, Halloween two uh, we had the song Sister after the reel that Laurie Strode is Michael Myers' sister. So for Halloween four man, it's Hello Again. That's what it is. That's the DMV song. <laughs> Hello Again. Uh, which is a song that I just listened to for the first time, which is, I think, going to be a consistent theme throughout this podcast. It's Yeah, this, this podcast is also partly about your education of the DMB catalog, so that, I take that very seriously. Right, yeah. It's like you're the straight man, and I'm sort of like the, the comic relief who comes in and is like, what are you talking about, intelligent Dave fan? And you've made it very clear that you don't think that they're a good band. No, no, I did not make that clear. Come on, back up. I said that I did not think Come Tomorrow is a particularly good album. Right, you did say that. And I think that I probably have a little bit less respect for their overall catalog than you do, but I love Dave Matthews' band, and I always will. So let it be known. Okay, good. The record has been corrected. You like DMB, I like DMB. This song is Hello Again. It's from 2005. It's from the album Stand Up. When we played Sister, I believe that song came out of these same sessions, but I didn't end up making it on this album Stand Up. But that was the album where they worked with Mark Batson, who was a, I think he had produced a lot of hip hop records up until that point. So he kind of tried to infuse the new DMB songs at that time with like a more of a groove, kind of find the rhythmic um, elements and kind of like underscore those. I always want to think that Hello Again is kind of like a 
this swampy down home thing because the song right after it is Louisiana Bayou, but Louisiana Bayou is a very swampy song. Hello Again, I think, is more of like a, I don't know, I I'm, I guess I'm kind of bad at, at like talking about Southern-inspired music, or does it sound like a fucking hoedown or something to you? I don't know. <laughs> no, I would say absolutely not. It doesn't sound like a hoedown. It's just like a nice, fun song. You know, it's not like Halloween or Sister. It doesn't have like this caravan of emotion driving it it's just like a fun dmb song the stakes are low i don't know what it's about particularly but it's good you know it's a good song it's catchy part of the reason why i chose it for this movie specifically just i mean certainly the title but a little bit beyond the title the first verse i just felt like is pretty funny and by the way i'm pulling this up on azlyrics.com just because it was one of the first um, search results one of our proud sponsors that's right <laughs> we're underwritten so the first verse is all there first chorus is there and then there's like a little bit of a a bridge and then another chorus and then there's just a bunch of question marks and then there's more lyrics (laughs) um which i find very funny the genius team is out there doing good work (laughs) but the first verse it goes sinning i've done my share of this still i hope the lord forgive me my sins 10 years ago down by the lake i saw my sweet love her watery grave. Whoa. I close my eyes, still see her face. I'd give my soul take back that day. So it sort of seems like a down by the river situation where instead of down by the river, I shot my baby. It's uh, just that, but in, in other words. Yeah, but... But 10 years ago, which is... 10 years, that's pretty big. I mean, as this podcast continues, I'm becoming more and more convinced that Dave Matthews is Michael Myers. Yeah, I think that that is going to become exceedingly clear by the time we uh, reach the end of this film series. <laughs> that is our thesis. I am a waste of the flesh on my bones. I am a waste of the air in my I definitely heard it live. I can tell you that. I definitely heard this song live in either 2005 or 2006. If it was in 05, then it was likely... I saw him twice in 05. If it was the summer show, which I feel like it probably was because it's more of a summery song and the album had just come out. If it was that show, then I definitely... There's a there's like a, I don't know, 40% chance that during when the band was playing this song, I was taking a drag from a cigarette that an older girl who was in a group next to me and my friends who were, I think, 15, uh, had passed our way. And I think that was one of the first times I'd ever smoked a cigarette was during this song. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up uh, seeing that song live because uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in a prior episode, but I've only ever seen Dave Matthews Band live one time. And if memory serves me correctly, that time was during the stand-up tour. Oh, excellent. Okay. You said it came out during 2005, right? Yeah, I think the album came out in May of 2005. It was around the same time that System of a Down's, oh, oh, Mesmerize, System of a Down's Mesmerize came out. Yeah. Which I was, and at that point in my life, I had like, those were my two favorite bands somehow, was System of a Down and Dave Matthews Band. That tour was the only time I ever saw Dave Matthews Band live. Robert Randolph and the Family Band opened, which actually kind of serves to your like down home theme because he was sort of like a southerny. He played like slide sort of steel guitar and it was like foot stomping music, kind of bluesy, kind of southerny. And I don't know if they played this song or not. I don't remember that because at that point, like I only knew some live songs from the 90s and 
was a big fan of those and like definitely had not burst into this album as a fan and never would until today but (laughs) (laughs) but it was an amazing show and it was it was definitely a summer show because it was outside at this place called blossom music center uh in the cuyahoga valley national park in cleveland ohio which is like top 10 concert venues in the world in my opinion that's where i saw radiohead in 2012 it was a great venue yeah the one you're picking up just thinking about him gives me the willies a decade ago halloween night he murdered 16 people maybe more trying to get to his sister nearly got it too but his doctor of all people shot him six times then he set him on fire both of them nearly burned to death yeah i'll be glad to see this one gone yes indeedy so as we've discussed the big thing about halloween 4 is that michael myers has returned and you know, Halloween 3, on the grand scheme of things, did not do so successfully. We read some bad reviews last episode, and financially, it like wasn't a huge success. So Halloween 3 came out in 1982. Halloween 4 comes out in 1988. Uh, Mustafa Akkad is the one who sort of spearheaded it, because he was like, I want to bring this back. Like He's watching all these Friday the 13th movies come out, all of these... Uh, nightmare on elm street and he's like horror is like ruling the world right now these franchises like we could do this we have a character like he's already built we don't even have to put any work in and so he decided halloween 4 is basically just going to be halloween 1 but in 1988 10 years later my question to you is first and foremost do you think michael myers should have come back i think having him come back is problematic for a couple of reasons that i think infect Halloween 4 and 5 negatively. Um, I don't think that 4 is really a terrible movie at all, but I think that there are some problems in bringing him back that just can't be... Like What you have to do in order to bring him back kind of changes the game and makes the rest of it seem a little bit off when you compare it to the first two films. Right. You know, you might be asking, well, Michael Myers at the end of Halloween 2 is incinerated. He burns and you see... (laughs) It's an incredible explosion. How are you going to bring this guy back if he burned alive? And Halloween 4 essentially says, well, he burned, but um, he didn't really burn all the way. He got some burns on his arms and probably face, but he's been in a coma. (laughs) Uh, He's been strapped to a hospital bed for 10 years. And um, then you might also ask, okay, so Dr. Loomis, who lit the fire, also presumably exploded in this massive hospital explosion. So he's definitely dead. And then the movie goes, no, also, I mean, he got like a little bit of burn on his face and he wears gloves to cover <laughs> up his hands, but like he's he's fine. Every now and then he'll pull his like burnt hand out just to make a point. Right. But he's, yeah, he does all right. <laughs> he's got a cane. And so it's one thing to kind of make Michael, and we talked about this when we talked about Halloween too. He was this brute who was pretty seemingly indestructible. Like he gets shot so much, including, as you said, twice in the eyes, which is absurd, before he <laughs> explodes. And then so if you bring him back from that, then it kind of opens this door for like this Jason Voorhees type zombification of Jason My- or of, of Michael Myers. Yeah, that's a little problematic because I, I don't I think like he just becomes so much less scary when he becomes all powerful, when he has super strength, when he can conceivably do anything and when he can't be stopped and when you can shoot him 20 times and it doesn't matter like that. Right. It just changes the stakes of what the whole thing is. And so, like, I like that he came back. I'm happy that this movie is made, honestly. Like, I, with the next Halloween film coming out uh, this October, 
that will be, I think, the fourth. I was trying to do the math when I was watching this, but I think that'll be the fourth, like, separate timeline that branches out from the first movie. And, like, I like all those because it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure. Like, I'm glad that this Hmm. film kind of kicked off a new era. I really would have liked to have seen John Carpenter's version of this, which he, like, apparently wrote a spec script for, um, and it was going to be kind of like a Nightmare on Elm Street type thing where the town of Haddonfield had just been like, Halloween doesn't exist. We're going to pretend it doesn't exist. And then all the kids. Yeah, n- not just that it doesn't exist. They ban it outright. Yeah. And so it's almost like, um, yeah, it's sort of like a Nightmare on Elm Street thing where there's a drug that prevents kids from having dreams. It's like, um, that's what it comes down to for Haddonfield. They're like, yeah, Halloween's banned. But then in, in doing that, it, it kind of, it's a very, I think what was the, the issue that Mustafa Akkad had it with it, uh, with that script is he said it was too cerebral. Yeah. I think so. Then he basically was like, no, 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 we're going to back to basics. People want to see Michael Myers stab people. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to make it very basic. And we're going to make this character, Jamie, uh, this child, be kind of the centerpiece of the film because she's Laurie Strode's daughter. But we're going to kill off Laurie Strode because they asked Jamie Lee Curtis to come back and she was like, it's 1988. I'm like really famous now. Yeah, she was in kind of, A Fish I've Called Wanda down. that year, which is an amazing movie. Yeah. So like, I, I, I'm glad he came, he came back. Hello again, as I would have said to him. Hello again. But yeah, I don't know. All right, what, what was your thought the first time you saw him on screen, which I believe is when he's in the hospital bed? Uh, well, that was all right because he's just in a coma. That worked totally fine for me. But when I first saw him on screen with the mask on i would say was incredibly jarring yeah <laughs> uh, the mask in this movie is awful yeah it's pretty bad it almost kind of looks like he's smiling like he's not like it's the same facial expression and obviously it's the same it's based on the original mask and stuff but it's like a little tighter and the hair is tighter to the back of the mask even george p wilbur who's the guy who plays michael myers in the fourth halloween he had to wear shoulder pads, like hockey pads, under his mechanic suit in order to be like more of a menacing presence. Yeah, and they look fucking ridiculous. He looks goofy. <laughs> he looks so bad. But the mask itself, to me, had this face that looked kind of like E.T. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Did you see that? Like, yeah. Yeah. I think it's the way the eyes were. Like, and it's the nostrils. I think that really make it E.T. esque. Is like they're they're too big or they're like too far apart or something. They're too prominent on the face. Yeah. It's way less like a terrifying human shape and way more like a (laughs) sort of like gangly slicked back alien man which is not nearly as scary i think it's like it's really telling that the promotional image for this film and which was also on like the vhs cover i'm sure it's on the dvd cover and i'm sure it was the actual like theatrical release posters like the mask that's on there is the original mask like it's yeah. not this <laughs> shitty mask from the new one like they knew it was shitty and it, it, part of that is not really the producers and the filmmakers fault because the the original mask was just like as as you said and i think the second episode after dick warlock wrapped on halloween 2 he just like took the mask right because he was like i want to keep this stuff i want to keep the scalpel and so yeah. they were like yeah because we're done with michael mars we're gonna make these mini series things and then yeah so like it, it sucks but they like didn't have access to the mask if they probably could get it back, it probably would look like shit. Which, like, also maybe would have been kind of cool. But And I think that's the thing that Rob Zombie explored in his series, I think, was just, like, kind of keeping the same mask, even as it does, like, degrade off of 
Michael Myers' face. Right. Yeah, it's just like it's definitely a weaker mask, and I think to bring back this iconic character who has such an iconic look and to make it slightly off, there's like a weird uncanny valley. Like the mask is scary because it is an uncanny valley. It looks like a face, but it's not a face, and that's what makes it scary. And then this is like a mask that looks like another mask that looks like a human face, which makes it like somehow less scary. It's like the, it's almost like a double negative. Yeah. And you and I were texting about this, about like <laughs> trying to memify it. And one of the things was like you said when you come back from summer vacation and you have a dirt stash. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it looks just a little bit different. And I feel like that's totally spot on. Did Hoffman say anything about living relatives? Yeah. A niece living in his hometown. And? And she's too young to be his legal ward. Obviously, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal by the producers of the movie. They've made this decision that they're going to go with this. But in the first minutes of the movie, the way that you find out that Michael Myers survived is through the awful dialogue of a terrible security guard. It's not even like this cool reveal. They don't like lean into it. They're just like really quick. They're like, oh, by the way, Michael Myers has just been in a coma for 10 years. Like, don't worry about it. The movie's going to continue. Like, if you're going to make that decision and like play with an audience who like clearly has been buying into these movies, like lean into it and just like go with it. Like, don't, don't just write it away like that, you know? Yeah, it was the first time in my life that I kind of had wished that a movie like was bloated because this movie is 88 minutes long it's like a nothing movie like it's it's so lean it's also a movie we've seen before yeah and the like, movie starts out with michael myers like what taking a van or an ambulance or something killing a mechanic stealing his clothes and like going to haddonfield like i know this movie we've watched it. <laughs> yeah all the callbacks are super specific when jamie's looking out her window and sees Michael in the ambulance and then it's gone like that's a complete callback to the first movie of Laurie looking out her window and seeing Michael and then not seeing him and there's a couple other moments there yeah especially because like I think as a viewer you're like okay so Michael Myers is back but how is he going to get his mask how is he going to get like this costume you know that these coveralls these mechanic coveralls and then so it's like okay I guess we have to write in the scene where he literally goes to a mechanic shop um, <laughs> and, and, and unlike the first movie where it's more ominous because you don't know how he kills the dude this one is like, there's a ridiculous shot of Michael Myers in hospital bandages. <laughs> like a mummy. Yeah, he looks like a mummy. He, and he impales the mechanic. And then, then there's an additional scene where he has to get the mask somehow, where he's at the, the general store and he like has to get the mask that way, which is also in the first movie. But it's again, it's alluded to, which makes it scarier. So yeah, it's... Right, yeah. In the first movie, they use Pasadena to stand in for Haddonfield. And then in this movie, they used... Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. So it's kind of like watching Batman, like the 1989 version versus like Batman Returns versus Batman Forever. You like, you see the way Gotham City changes based on like the different director's vision. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I I was like, oh yeah, Haddonfield looks a lot different. Some of that could probably be explained like in theory by being like, oh, it's been 10 years, you know, a lot of stuff could have probably happened in that time. But honestly, I was pretty happy with the look of Haddonfield. I thought that it was different and it was 10 years later or whatever, but 
I was kind of like, yeah, they that that's good. That works. And then when I looked it up and found out that it was Salt Lake City, I was like, really? Like, I've been to Salt Lake City a couple times, and I've never seen neighborhoods like that. Maybe I'm just in a different part of the city, but I think it's a weird... Like, have you ever been there? I've never been to Salt Lake. It's strange, man. It's like, it has these super wide streets. It definitely didn't feel like the place that I was looking at in Halloween 4, but... I've also never been to Salt Lake City in 1988, so maybe it's changed since then. Yeah, it's been it's been 30 years. Who knows? Jeez, yeah, man. No, I I was pretty happy with the look of Haddonfield. There, you were talking about the gas station. One little thing I wanted to mention is that the movie like hits you over the head, kind of like you said, like callbacks to other movies, but they sort of hit you over the head with like stupid exposition facts. And one of them is when they're in the gas station. There's like a low-key shrine to abraham lincoln on the wall did you notice that (laughs) yeah i noticed that there's like at least 12 framed photos of abraham lincoln and i guess that's just to be like hey by the way we're in illinois because everybody here like (laughs) worships abraham lincoln as a deity (laughs) yeah that's that's really funny because i i saw that and i was just like oh yeah we're at this little american like roadside little shop with the restaurant attached of all things right Four in the morning. I can't sleep. What is this, four nights in a row? You going for a record here, the seven-year-old Insomniac's Hall of Fame? Do you love me, Rachel? <sighs> Serious questions tonight. Of course I love you. Like a sister? Jamie, sometimes Like it's... a real sister? We're not really sisters, Jamie. But that doesn't mean that I love you any less. does my probably favorite part of this movie and actually probably my favorite part of halloween 5 too is jamie's character i think danielle harris is a killer child actor like she does a really good job she's awesome yeah i love her yeah she's just like a very believable it's so hard to find a child actor that can do that especially something so intense like a horror movie like you know, I think that's part of the reason why like Stranger Things is so popular is that those the actors in that movie are so good and they're so young and it's like that's so rare that you got to take it when it comes and Daniel Harris just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, I I think that this movie would be so lost if it wasn't for her and if it wasn't for the return of Loomis too. Yeah, Loomis's presence gives this movie like a lot of legitimacy. But yeah, like I, I agree. I think like I also wrote down it's so much like Stranger Things in terms of her performance, like especially in five where she's like mute for a little bit. It's a very like mm-hmm. it reminded me so much of watching Stranger Things for the first time and being like, holy shit, Millie Bobby Brown is amazing. She's like not really doing anything, but she's doing everything. The Jamie character in this movie like really presents the stakes as they are, because I think without her, it would be a lot of young pretty disposable people including the guy who's like the dickhead from dazed and confused along with ben affleck who want to like paddle those guys (laughs) playing brady like it would be people like him and people like ellie cornell who plays rachel who is i think she's pretty good too yeah she she is pretty good but it's yeah like if it wasn't for jamie then the the movie would just kind of be all these disposable like young ish pretty attractive people um and yeah danielle harris's jamie really brings those stakes and she carries like the real terror of it and yeah like she reacts so 
vividly to all the stuff that's happening around her and to her and she really like conveys that trauma especially like the fucking end of the movie it's like one of the best endings in the whole series i think it is it's so good so this is another movie that i know in one of the last episodes i said that we only owned three vhs movies in our house but that's not true because we did own halloween 4 so we own halloween 3 and halloween 4 which is a strange combination of michael myers films to own exclusively so I had watched this one a lot. And so this ending was like definitely no surprise to me. And I was looking forward to it. Not the case with five. Five was like basically a new experience to me uh, watching it the other day. But yeah. Oh, man. I mean, she sells the ending so well. And it's like, you know, there's that immediate opening scene of Halloween one. And this like totally plays back to that. You see the clown mask go over the camera and you see her standing there in the bloody clown suit. And it's like, ah, you did it like. You sold me again. We're here. And having (laughs) Loomis kind of like scream these ridiculous bloody murder screams that are just like kind of scenery chewing is also great. Like that's a really great way to end the film and to really sell like, oh shit, maybe the stakes have been changed like forever now. And then that's pretty cool. With Loomis screaming at the end of the movie, he's like, no, no. And it's kind of like when Luke Skywalker finds out that... (laughs) Vader's his father like it's those same kind of screams but also I realized after watching Halloween 5 that with the exception of the second movie so far four of these movies have ended with somebody screaming in like agony and terror which is kind of interesting yeah oh yeah that's that's really true two is the only one that doesn't of the first four because two ends with uh Mr. Sandman right I thought the Star Wars reference you were going to make was uh the no reminded you of Revenge of the Sith. Oh. <laughs> no. Hey, you know, that movie came out right around the time that Stand Up did, because I remember going to Best Buy, getting Stand Up on CD, and then going to see Revenge of the Sith, like, pretty soon after. Or maybe it was right before, but yeah. Did you see it at midnight? No, no, I, I didn't do that. But I did. And uh, when I went to go see it at midnight, the entire top row of the theater I was in was reserved and there was these reserved signs on every single one of the chairs and we went up there we were like oh man look at all those seats and then we realized they were reserved and the sign said reserved for the jedi council of cleveland which i guess is a thing (laughs) speaking of cleveland uh on wikipedia the wikipedia page for halloween 4 it makes a point of pointing out that dwight h little who directed halloween 4 and alan b mcelroy who wrote the script uh, we're both natives of Ohio, and McElroy was actually from Cleveland. Like, the Wikipedia page, I think, was probably edited by someone from Cleveland, and they were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cleveland. There's also a Cleveland reference in the movie, if you remember. Uh, Rachel's parents go out. They're like, this promotion's really important to your dad. Like, if we don't get this, we're not going to Bermuda. We're going to visit your grandma in Cleveland again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's like, you guys live in fucking Haddonfield. Cleveland sounds great. Yeah, like, <laughs> Cleveland has Blossom Music Center. Yeah. There's a moment between Rachel and Jamie where Rachel convinces Jamie that they're going to eventually go to Dairy Queen. And Jamie looks up with these sort of puppy dog eyes and is like, double scoops. And Rachel says double scoops and i just want to point out as a former employee of dairy queen for a solid four years there are no fucking scoops at dairy queen everything is soft serve (laughs) ice cream it all comes out of a machine it starts as liquid in a bag that was one of the biggest downfalls of the movie in my opinion yeah i I think it it really took me out of it it was just like uh (laughs) don't fear the reaper you know 
And it was said in the car on the way to the general store, so it does make some sense. Yeah, yeah. Everybody shut up a goddamn minute. Shut up! All businesses are asked to close as soon as possible. Oh, that Stay tuned to the station for updates. Like old Ben Meeker do something like that. Sure ain't. Martians could land on Ben's doorstep while he'd do his spit once and get himself a shotgun. Who are you calling? Police station. Be closing down without a good goddamn reason. How did you feel about the uprising of NRA members who took over <laughs> the town's police force? Yeah, well-regulated militia. Um, <laughs> I actually really liked that plot element. I, I liked that uh, someone gets killed because of their trigger happiness. Ted Hollister is his name. Ted Hollister, right, yeah. I wrote that down. I was like, I, I literally wrote, Ted Hollister gets killed by trigger happy NRA members. That's, the, <laughs> that's what I'm going off of. Yeah, and so like RIP Ted Hollister, RIP Ben Tramer, you know, we'll pour one, pour two out for them. But like their deaths are so necessary. I think like any non-Michael Myers cause death in any of these films is really fascinating by default because yeah, like it obviously has some kind of narrative element where most of Michael's kills don't really have that much like meaning. It's just kind of like what the point of the film is. But if somebody accidentally gets killed because he looks like Michael Myers, he's wearing a costume that looks like him, or be, and I guess that's what happens to Ted Hollister too. It's the same thing. Like when stuff like that happens, it kind of, it, it raises the stakes in a way where it's like, oh yeah, shit, there's a citywide panic. Like maybe it's a bad idea that the townspeople um, have kind of risen up and are taking this into their own hands. Like, I like that it presents that, you know, those stakes. Yeah. At the same time, though, the police in Haddonfield are fucking useless. So, like, the, the, <laughs> the least that these people could do is, like, you know, strap up and take to the streets. And, you know, if one person is the collateral damage, then... The movie literally ends right before Jamie and the clown, you know, violence that echoes the first movie that we just talked about. The movie ends with all these dudes blowing Michael Myers to hell. I guess most of that is actually cops, but <laughs> it, they all have their guns and... You know, they blow them up. It's not the cops. It's like uh, state troopers. That's who it is. Because at that point, all the Haddonfield cops are dead. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, which is, again, like they suck. It's the, They had to call them the state troopers. Yes, I like that that plot element because it really does, I think, like sometimes, you know, watching these kinds of films, like, why don't all the police or why doesn't the military get involved and why don't they just like shoot him with a bunch of guns? Like, I always feel like in our kind of American minds watching movies like this, people always say or think those questions. And in Jason Goes to Hell in the Friday the 13th film, that's like how that movie opens. They literally just like surround Jason and they like <laughs> blow him up with machine guns. And I feel like it has to happen <laughs> at a certain point in all these to get people to be like, yeah, we fucking did it. All right. Like <laughs> we tried that once, you know. Um, it's also, I mean, there's an element of it being the late 1980s and these are just big fucking blockbuster films, you know. People love to see shit like Rambo, and there's a part of that that just sells. As we've established, Mustafa Akkad was just in it for the dough on this one, and he got it. He got the money. He got it. This movie, in a way that I think actually works really well, brings back the sort of like sexual themes that you get in the first movie and in the second movie as well. You kind of lose it in the third movie. Like I guess you have that sex scene with Dr. Chalice, but as we've discussed, not successful problematic too yeah also <laughs> but uh you have rachel's peer who steals her boyfriend and it's like it's pretty hot she's a she's a good looking gal brady's kind of like a stud so much of all of this michael myers thing started because 
of sexual promiscuity that I think it's good that that came back in Halloween 4. In this very Melrose Place kind of teen soap way. Well, (laughs) speaking of Melrose Place, and as we move into talking about Halloween 5, the revenge of Michael Myers, one of the first things I want to bring up is the music, which is done in both movies by Alan Howarth, who did music in the past two Halloweens. But there are these themes that come into Halloween 5. I didn't hear them in the fourth one so much, where the teens are kind of like going around town, and it is Melrose Place to a T. Like these kind of screeching guitars <laughs> over like sort of synthy. You know, like it's so of the time. And I know that you can speak to that with authority because you genuinely love Melrose Place or love watching <laughs> Melrose Place. And the only time I ever watched it was with you, but I drank a 40 that night and I don't really remember anything. It's all right. It's all right. Oh. Oh, Jamie. 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 It's just another one of your nightmares. That's all. Halloween 4 ends with Michael Myers falling into what I initially thought was this sort of like town sinkhole, but it turns out is a mine because I guess Haddonfield, Illinois is a mining town now. Sure. (laughs) Um, and much in the same way that Halloween 2 picks up where Halloween 1 left off, Halloween 5 picks up where Halloween 4 left off, but only for a short period, and then it suddenly jumps a year. But in the first, like, easily 5 to 10 minutes of the movie, there is a man who lives sort of, like, half underground on the side of a river with his pet parrot. So tell me your thoughts on that. <laughs> So I had seen this film before. I think I watched this film in probably 2003 with my mom. And I only remembered like three parts from it. One was the man in black, kind of that recurring character and being like, what the fuck is this? Two was the scene where the couple are having sex in the barn. And then Michael Myers penetrates the man through the back with a pitchfork. And the third thing that I remembered was this hermit living underground sort of um with this parrot yeah and i remember just being like (laughs) oh yeah right because there's this guy and then he kind of nurses michael back to health and then he says thank you by killing him immediately Um, (laughs) after one year he keeps him down there for a year so what i really hate about the way that the transition between these movies goes is that the end of halloween 4 is jamie attacking her mother and presumably murdering her with a pair of scissors yeah much like the young michael myers did to his sister and then it's like holy shit she's evil now like she's going to be the evil one it's such a great ending it leaves so many questions and then in halloween 5 it opens and they say oh she attacked her mom but her mom's actually fine and now she's in this children's rest facility you know like for for children who need help and she, now she's mute and it just kind of takes away a lot of Jamie's agency and it kind of sets her up for how she's portrayed the rest of the film which is a burdensome victim who keeps needing help and needing to be saved and like granted she is a child so there's always going to be that element but it's kind of a bummer because like she has all this power at the end of four she literally like inhabits evil and attacks her mom and then what five does is basically say well she's not evil the only reason she did that is because she's psychically linked to Michael Myers who's her uncle and um that's why she did it and so like it felt like a weird backpedaling type deal as if they had set something up in four and then didn't follow through on that thread in five and i just felt like that was a little lame personally so i could see that but i mean if you 
sort of buy into the idea that this movie is going to be based on this weird sort of psychic link between her and Michael, then I actually really like the decision that she is mute at the start of the movie, because if she isn't, then they can just ask her whatever they want and she can tell them. That's true. But like, because for this year she hasn't been able to talk and like has been sort of traumatized. She's a nine-year-old girl who like tried to murder her stepmother. You know, like that's gonna, that's gonna mess you up because she's, dealing with that you have a year where they can't effectively communicate to her or with her about what happened and so then as she sort of like starts to come to a better realization of what's happening when michael returns and as she starts to get her voice back there's a little bit of tension built in there because you're like well crazy like after a year she can finally like talk to people and she can maybe help out or maybe she'll be evil like it is backpedaling in that it just like prolongs it all and you know, Halloween five is not as good as, as Halloween four and Yeah, that's right. Neither of them are as good as Halloween, but yeah. like but I think that going with what they chose to do, it was probably the best way they could do it. Yeah. I, that's that's a good point. Like making her mute is a nece- is a necessity of storytelling because of what like the way that they're gonna set up the rest of the plot. So I get that. What I really don't like is how much they show Michael Myers in this one. Like at least in <laughs> four, he's like he's around. This film basically all but shows him like taking a piss like it's it's like here he is okay and here's exactly how he escapes the mine he crawls and then he kind of like gets himself into these rapids oh man the scene where he like floats down the river (laughs) yeah like you don't want to see michael mars floating down a fucking river like you want to see him killing people and if you're not looking at him killing people then i don't want to look at him at all i wrote a note in my phone that said this would make the worst disney ride ever Unless you could ride Michael Myers like a like a rat, <laughs> that'd be pretty awesome. But yeah, like I, he he gets he he's seen a lot. He's seen doing a lot of stuff to the point where at the very end of the movie, when they're in the Myers house and Michael and Loomis are having this kind of like seemingly final confrontation, they're framed in the same shot as if they're two characters speaking directly to each other, even though Michael doesn't speak and he's pretty like well lit, all things considered. And so it's it looks ridiculous for a lot of reasons. One is that you can see how bad this mask looks, and it also looks bad. Um, it's a different <laughs> mask, but it also looks bad. So hang on, back up real quick, because it is a different mask, I think. Like the filming, they used a different mask, but it shouldn't be, right? Because it just hypothetically sat in this like hermit mole man's cave house with him while he was in a coma for a year, and then once he killed him, he just picked it back up and put it on. So it yeah. should... It should be the be same. The same mask. It should. But it is radically different from any mask that's been seen. And it's because there's a different guy. This time it's Don Shanks. And, you know, you run into some of these other things. I think I read that part of the reason why they did a different mask is because when they cast this new guy who was bulkier, so he didn't have to wear hockey pads and look as ridiculous, he put on the mask and it just like legitimately didn't fit his head. So they were like, oh, okay, I guess we'll do a new one. But I also read that toward the end of the movie, there's that scene where Loomis drops a chain net on Michael Myers and tranquilizes him and then beats him with a two-by-four until he's down. I guess in filming that, Donald Pleasance broke the guy's nose. (laughs) (laughs) It's very obvious that Don Pleasance, as an actor, like just loves this role and got so into it. Like (laughs) I totally believe that he would just accidentally or maybe for the sake of the movie purposefully broke that man's nose. And apparently the breaking of the nose... 
that had to be accommodated in the mask. So that's also part of the reason why the mask looks so different is because like the nose is fucked up to accommodate this guy's like broken ass nose throughout the whole movie. So I want to mention this about the Halloween five mask. It immediately called something to mind for me, which ironically also is from the show Doug, which you talked about in episode three, talking about the, uh, oh, yeah. the witch mask and uh, Baron von Heckelhofer. There's an episode of Doug that for some reason really stuck with me. And it's this one where a horror movie comes out. And I don't remember the name of the movie or like the plot really or anything. But this horror movie comes out and Doug is terrified and he won't go see the movie. And he has all these nightmares about it. And he's like being chased by this weird sort of like traffic light spider monster. And eventually Skeeter gets him to go see the movie and... He laughs because at the end of the movie, there's like a monster that's kind of like a Godzilla-ish monster. And when the monster turns around, you can see the zipper on the costume. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, oh, you could just you can see the zipper the whole time. <laughs> that's how I felt about this mask. It's like the neck is hanging down like a like a turkey gizzard. Yeah. The neck is <laughs> like, so looks, bad, dude. It's so bad. It looks like a like a worn foreskin or something. Like it's. <laughs> just <laughs> it's flapping it's really yeah it's flapping there <laughs> it's unsanitary at best it makes me think of the much maligned dmb song monkey man which is featured on the unreleased <laughs> album the lily white sessions not even necessarily because the mask looks too much like a monkey um but um you know i think the lyrics really speak to it you know great monkey man has gone the distance the lucky one's gonna get it all loving life now living on top of lucky ones always get it all and then the chorus is, it's crazy, crazy, little man. You've got yourself entangled. And, you know, I think that's Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very, it seems pretty clear. You've got to help me, Jamie. You've got to help me to find him. We both know he's alive. But you know where he is. Why? Why are you protecting him? <laughs> about your stepmother jamie you love her don't you he made you stab her so another thing that halloween 5 sort of backpedals and ruins from halloween 4 for me anyway is the character of rachel carruthers who is the babysitter of jamie lloyd you had said rachel's a pretty good character the actress does a good job and you buy into her and she in a way she's kind of like the new laurie strode right and Within, I think it's like 20 minutes of this movie, she's gone. Yeah, it really sucks. They did Rachel really dirty. I read that Ellie Cornell was pretty pumped to be in this movie again because she was apparently poached to be in either Nightmare on Elm Street 4 or Halloween 4, and she kind of could have had her pick. She picked Halloween 4, and then she was pretty pumped to like work on this sequel because we should say like the sequel has a different director Halloween 5 has a different director than Halloween 4 but it is a direct continuation like we said it came out just a year later so it does kind of follow the same like pacing of um the plot in the movie which also takes place a year later after Halloween 4 and I kind of was like oh man like they killed Rachel pretty quickly I thought maybe it was because the actress didn't want to do it or there was some dispute but apparently she was like really pumped to be in the sequel and then when she got the script she was like oh that kind of sucks, which sucks. It sucks for her. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. And not only does she do a good job in Halloween 4 just acting, 
But in Halloween 5, in the beginning, they sort of, like, transform her quickly from, like, the kind of shy girl that she was in Halloween 4 who gets, like, cucked by the girl who takes Brady. Then in Halloween 5, she's, like, got this sexy shower scene, and she's, like, she's sort of a babe, and she's walking around without pants on, and you're like, yeah, like... She's feeling herself, yeah. She got her groove back, and then she gets killed. There's a lot of weird, like, fake-outs in this movie because she gets killed, but it's kind of after a little bit of a fake-out. You're like, oh, okay, that was weird. And then her friend, who is not in Halloween 4, kind of takes center stage, this girl Tina, and she ends up being kind of the replacement Rachel for this. And I'm like, yeah. like just thinking, like, why couldn't Rachel have just done that? I mean, the characters are slightly <laughs> different, but Tina gets so much more to do in this story. At first, I was like, oh, Jamie's really treating Tina like she treated Rachel in the last one. She's like, you know, they're almost like inseparable. But I was like, oh, that's because literally everybody in Jamie's life gets fucking killed. <laughs> she doesn't know how to make commitments. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like she, if somebody's in her corner, she's like, oh my God, you're the one. Except Loomis, because I think there's so many scenes in the, these two movies where <laughs> Loomis just kind of grabs her like from behind and often he's like ragged and blood covered. And then he's like yelling at her like, we need your help. You have to help us. And it's like, in the same way that Michael Myers slut shamed his sister, Loomis evil shames Jamie, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's right. He's yeah. So good in these movies, like he is overall, like bar everything else we've said, like Loomis is the saving grace for all of these movies, and is just a complete delight to watch. Yeah, and it's it's like so nice that he is great again, and Daniel Harris is great again. Because the rest of the folks... And the sheriff returns and the sheriff is fine. He's just like a fucking idiot. His daughter was killed and he... I don't know. Acting like... Like when Sheriff Brackett's daughter gets killed in Halloween 2, he's like... He's out. He's like, I I can't. Like I'm shattered, you know? And then this guy's daughter gets killed and he's kind of like... Well, I mean, I guess we go on. But then I guess also (laughs) I'm going to not seem to care too much about the guy who killed my daughter. I'm just going to be like, well, we got a small town here. We got to keep things pretty chill. That's dumb. All the cops, again, I just like this movie and the last movie make the cops seem so dumb to the point where they literally have two really dopey, dumbass cops who are soundtracked by like a fucking tuba. <laughs> like, this, like, what the fuck is this movie? The reason that those cops are there and the reason that they're so like bumbling and have that soundtrack is it was uh, the director of this movie wanted a direct throwback to Wes Craven's movie Last House on the Left and I guess I've never seen that movie but I guess in that movie there is a pair of bumbling cops that's very similar so that was like a fans of horror would have seen that and seen that as an homage mm, okay well they still suck it's a bad one like but not only yeah. <laughs> not only are they lousy cops because like they're just bad at being cops but they go to a party watch a bunch of teenagers like drink beer and get fucked up have sex with each other and then Watch everybody drive away. And they're like, yep, did our job. <laughs> Uncle. Boogeyman. Let me see. Um... When Spitz and his girl Sam Spitz with Samantha, a Z, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. when they're in the barn and they're about to, to have sex, there's it's a pretty good scene. Yeah, like the thing that I really like about that scene is that there's some foreplay, and then when it seems like they're about to begin actually having intercourse, uh, Samantha says, uh, "I don't have anything," and the dude just whips out a condom, and it gets like a pretty prominent. <laughs> 
spot and you know in the frame and it's like kind of goofy but then also i was like oh that's awesome like safe sex you know promote that message like the girl's like no yeah, we're not having totally. sex it's not bob and linda where they're like drunk driving and then they're gonna go bone in somebody's mom's bed it's like no no, no this is like we're gonna promote safe sex in this kind of ridiculous moment it's like a little psa moment for sure yeah i mean it's 89 you know aids you know just you got to think about these things 89 year of my birth the date that this movie came out is October 13th, 1989. So you would have been a couple, a few months old, right? Four, yeah, four months just old? just like three, three four months, months old. My favorite scene is when, after Michael Myers has killed Mikey, who's sort of like the Fonzie character in the movie, uh, he picks up Tina in Mikey's car. And it's like a very, it's very much like a Bob or a Bud moment where he has this mask on that Tina, I guess, bought for Mikey to wear on Halloween. And so he's like making her think that it's her boyfriend, but he's not speaking and he's just breathing. And like you see the really white of his eyes. And it's like, it's exactly basically the scene with Linda in bed where she's like, can't I get your ghost, Bob? And he's not doing anything. And But it worked really well. Like I, I thought it sort of played with the initial scariness of Michael Myers, like that he is just this unfeeling unmoving character of like stock darkness i agree with you i think that it kind of like adds there's like layers added to his degree of menacingness throughout this movie which is kind of cool but what undoes that is by the end of the film when he removes his mask at jamie's request and then you see like the one (laughs) the single tear roll down his cheek i was like (laughs) it's like the indian what is this movie yeah (laughs) it's really strange Uh, So that scene takes place in the Myers house, which uh, very starkly is not the original Myers house, which sucks because the Myers house is so iconic. Like it just has that perfectly symmetrical look. It's really simple. And this new house that they choose to just make you believe is the Myers house. It's like this beautiful Victorian mansion with like a coned turret and like it's painted blue and the original house is white. And you're just like, joking aside, that actually took me out of the movie. And I had to think and be like, oh, they want me to believe that this is Michael's childhood house. And like, (laughs) yeah, they don't do a great job of selling it by any means in that house. What I like is when Jamie's stuck in the laundry chute. I think that that scene is like legitimately really scary and terrifying and it's very uncomfortable. It's almost sadistic to watch because she's a fucking child. There's something really unsettling about the rest of this film, like after everyone else that was kind of running interference for Jamie against Michael is either sidelined or murdered. Then it's just her and she's like, she's a fucking kid. Like she's nine years old and she's running around this house and she at one point gets her legs slashed and just she's menaced to death almost. And yeah, it's really hard to watch. But like at the same time, I, I really do think like it was a new direction to take this series. And I like most of those scenes because it is really scary to the point of almost to the point of that boiler room scene in Halloween two, which I still really love. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of calls back to that where you're just like, how can this person literally escape this evil force? What I don't love about it is, yeah, again, this is in this movie, Michael Myers is driving all over the place. He's, he's doing like all sorts of stuff. He's just so there's so much of him that you see. And so that takes me out of it. But then when he kind of gets, his knife back and he has the knife for so much of the movie and you kind of just like get back to these basic elements that make Michael Myers do what he does then I think that the movie's cool and I feel for Danielle Harris having to do all this stuff 
it's really insane and she does such a great job yeah uh, and it really keeps you like focused in on what makes michael myers so scary those ending scenes work so well in my opinion because she does such a good job in them like she is just like genuinely petrified like you really buy into the horror that she's experiencing in those moments and like her acting totally redeems anything you know but at the same time like if you're able to put that aside i'm still like incredibly unclear on what the point is because like if the idea is jamie is the sort of heiress of Laurie Strode and he wanted to kill Laurie and he never got the chance to. So instead he's going to kill her daughter. Then like, fine, whatever. That's kind of dumb, but they've already established that through Jamie, Michael can try to kill other people. So like, which one is it? Is he going to use her as a pawn or is he going to kill her? Like, (laughs) or like, and like, if he is going to kill her, why did he do that in the first place? They're like, I don't know. It's not there for me. And it won't get answered until Halloween 6, which we'll devote the next episode to. But something that's infuriating, not for us. For us, it's nice. We could literally watch it right now if we wanted to. But for the at the time, Halloween 5 comes out in 1989. Halloween 6 doesn't come out until 1995. So it's like six fucking years that people had to wait <laughs> and be like, who the fuck's this man in black? What the fuck happened at the police station? How do you light prison yeah, bars on yeah. fire? Also, the fact that Michael Myers several times in the fifth movie flashes like his ink on his wrist, like his prison tat. He does. Yeah, he sure does. And that same symbol is also featured in the Myers house briefly at one shot behind Loomis yeah, kind of in the yeah. shadows. That will get answered in the next one. Slash Into Me is made by me, Pat Hoskin. And me, Chris Rady. Make sure you guys check us out on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Slash Into Me. We're on Facebook as well. You can send us an email at Slash Into Me at gmail.com. Our artwork is done by Katie Nee. You can check her out on Etsy. She has a shop where she sells custom-made pieces as well as pre-made cards and things like that. Listen to all the episodes of our podcast on SoundCloud and subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a rating. It really helps people discover the podcast. If you like it, tell people. And we'll see you next time. You guys live in fucking Haddonfield. Cleveland sounds great.